Welcome into another episode of the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. Look, the the hamster wheel of the NFL goes on and on and on. It's not too big for any one person. The, the games continue starting tonight. We've got a really good one at Lincoln Financial Field, Philadelphia, welcoming the Minnesota Vikings into town. But before before we do all that, I do think when a four time MVP and and one of the faces of this season, Aaron Rodgers, uh, is lost for the season on the fourth play of the game. I think it's OK if we stick to that for at least one more segment again. This will feel like ancient history by the time week two is over. But for the time being, to me, it feels like the type of story that you spend a little bit more time on. I had a huge hand in doing that for this show. I welcomed in our old friend, Peter Schrager. He will be a regular on this podcast this season. I had a chance to rap with him about Rogers, about the injury, about what comes next. A guy lives in the New York area, very plugged in in the New York Jets organization, seemed like the perfect person to talk all things Rodgers, all things Jets with. I do want to note when we recorded this, Aaron Rodgers had yet to make his Instagram post uh, talking about his recovery process and, and thanking people for their well wishes. We will get to that on the other side of this, but for now... Very, I thought, enjoyable, in-depth conversation about where Aaron Rodgers goes from here and where the Jets go from here. Check it out. All right, welcome into this week's edition of Peter Schrager's Cheat Sheet, presented to you by Honda. I am joined by the one and the only Peter Schrager, obviously. Peter, you know, I, I mean, injuries happen in the NFL. Get it? It's it's a 100% chance of injury across this league. It's a bummer, but, uh, man, it's it's pretty rare circumstances to have one of the most fun, most interesting storylines in the league this year, uh, just kind of taken out from under us, four snaps into the season, obviously. Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles, literally four snaps into the season. I mean, we've we've seen things like this before. Your your cheat sheet this week touches on on several of those. But even still, like even knowing that a, that a week one injury is not out of the question, uh, I just don't remember anything like that where – the season was just taken away from from somebody like Aaron Rodgers so quickly. Yeah, I feel like it was a cultural moment too. Everybody was watching Monday night, even if you weren't a football yep. fan, you probably watched because of hard knocks or you probably had a curiosity on Rodgers because of his off the field stuff that he's been in your spotlight for so many years. And it was hard not to get swept up. I've got a lot of diehard Jets fans in my life. And after the Rodgers interview or injury, a lot of them were like, you know what, on me. Shame on me because I let myself get excited. And if you're a Jets fan, this is the doom and gloom of your existence when it comes to quarterback play or big free agent signings. But that's not really the truth. The truth is this is as freakish and as uh, just flattening and depressing as it could be for the league. I think if, David, we were talking about a week ago, we were to say, all right, you get to protect, protect five players from injury this year. All the storylines, everything. Five players. Rodgers is on that list. Like this sucks in the league. It easy, maybe easy. one, maybe top. Yeah. Um, whether you love him or you hate him, you were either watching it because you wanted to see the Jets crash and burn, or you were watching it because you wanted to see, you know, Rodgers go on this miracle ride. And we don't get any of it. No one wins here. It sucks. And talking to Jets sources, that that immediate aftermath, there was a high because they won the game, but multiple coaches and I tweeted this. Um, Multiple coaches texted me. They didn't sleep the night that they got back. And they got back at like 2 a.m. 
after the Monday night game. They didn't sleep. Why? They're sick to their stomachs, not because the season's done and because that can't do it. It's because of Rodgers and what he had done for the team, both relevancy-wise, but also getting there, taking every guy under his wing. Like, I, I can't even – I tried in our opening hit for Fox NFL kickoff this week to kind of give some behind-the-scenes on what he's doing. One of the things he was doing every day – was he was bringing in younger players and he was going to like firing line of the different hand signals and different routes just to make sure they were on their P's and Q's. Another thing during walkthroughs, he was doing no look passes only that final week, just to make guys know their routes and they wouldn't be surprised when his pass came. Uh, All that's for naught. He was staying to the building until like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock every night, the last few weeks, just getting things down with these younger players and it's done. Poof, vanished. It's over. And, uh, I know we're set, you know, several hours removed from Monday night. And we're already on turn the page. I got the Cowboys, all this stuff, but gosh, it could not have been more devastating or gone worse. And I don't think anyone, if you talk about the script writers of the NFL, I don't even think even the greatest horror script writers would put it that way. No, I mean, and you said it perfectly. Like, even if, even if you don't like Aaron Rodgers and he's given people plenty of reasons to have opinions about him over the last two or three years, but if you're a fan of football, this, I mean, no, even even the biggest Rodgers critic doesn't want to see this. Like, it, like again, I mean, the Jets are. I think the Jets have five more standalone games, uh, and then there's you know the the mid afternoon national windows on top of that. Like, you got a Black gonna, Friday game on Amazon Black that Friday? they the first one yeah. ever that they're like going to roll it out at MetLife, and Rodgers is going to be on all the Amazon ads, and they were going to sell all their different tchotchkes and their Whole Foods food or whatever the Amazon Prime is going to push. <laughs> It loses a little luster now. It, it, I mean, it's it's just brutal from a perspective of being a football fan. If you're interested in the business of the league, it's brutal from that standpoint. One thing you just touched on that I'm curious about, and I, I don't I don't, I don't want to speculate too much because that is that's a that's a terrible situation for Aaron to go through, and he's got to figure that out. But I'm always curious, like when you talk to former players, you know the the depression of like not being in the structure of the season of like not necessarily needing to go to the game plan meetings to do the hand signal meetings. Uh, A lot of players talk about that being the hardest adjustment to being injured. And I'm curious to see how Rogers is going to approach this. Like some guys dive in and, and do what they can. And some guys are kind of like, this is too much for me. I got to get the hell out of here. I'm curious to see how he handles it. So we don't know yet where he's going to be spending this thing. We know he's going to get, you know, obviously surgery, whatever is necessary, but we don't know if he's going to go out and just be in Malibu, if he's going to do this in New Jersey, if he's going to rehab in the facility, if he's going to rehab at hospital for special surgery, which is one of the top spots in New York city, which is right there. Or does he say "Ah, winter in New York? I, I, I could do, I could be in Malibu. I could be, I could be anywhere. I could be in Cabo. I could do whatever it is. So, um, they're crushed over this because of what he brought outside of the on the field stuff. And if they lose the on the field stuff and the locker room stuff and the being in the quarterback's room stuff, that's two massive blows to this team. I'm going to put you on the spot. You covered the Cowboys for years. I remember when Mm. Romo went down and everyone in my ear would say, you know, Sanchez has been the biggest mentor to Dak, not Romo. And Sanchez is the one who's been the veteran guy. Romo's kind of been in and out, in and out. He's got the injury, whatever. Um, I wonder, because there's multiple routes you can go here. You could say, you know what? I'm hurt. I don't want to be a distraction. It's not my team. I'm going back to Malibu. I'm going to sit in a coffee shop and figure this out and train my ass off. Or 
you're still that guy. You're still in the quarterback's room and you make it a mission to get this team to the playoffs. And it might be through Zach Wilson's play and your coaching. You know, I, I feel like six, seven years on, I think the, the narrative is finally correct. Um, and it's, it's not like Tony disappeared from the team because it, it wasn't a season ending injury. He had a chance to get back, but uh, yeah, no, Mark Sanchez and Kellen Moore really took on that role uh, for Dak Prescott when that happened. And actually, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring it up because who wants to talk about themselves and their own experiences all the time. But it reminds me a lot. I was in Seattle the night Tony hurt his back in 2016. And the the deflation, well, at first, Jerry Jones and Tony Romo, like they tried to sell everybody that like we dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. We still got time before the season. It'll be okay. And then the next day is when the air went out of the balloon. And I worked in the building at the time, and it was it was like a deflation unlike anything I've ever experienced. I guess the closest thing I've experienced to it after that was when then in turn Dak had his own bad injury, and I've, I've never heard a stadium as quiet as that one uh, the day Dak hurt his ankle. But anyway, to your point, yeah, is that's, I think about that all the time is – you know, Tony Romo was there. He was working his way back, but he he took that other kind of hands-off approach and let other people do that. And honestly, I, I don't think I would blame Aaron Rodgers if that's what he decided to do. I mean, you're 39 years old. You're I know he's been around the team, and it seems like he's a big hit in that locker room, but this isn't Green Bay where, you, where you've lived for 15 years and where you feel extremely comfortable you know, if if he decided, and, and and he's yeah, he's almost forty. Like this could be a very hard injury to come back from. It wouldn't uh, offend me if he was like, let me just get my mind right and and not be here. The uh, the immediate aftermath, everyone's hitting me up, and I'm tight. I mean, here we are. I'll call it like it is. If you're ever wondering who my anonymous sources are, I'm tight with the entire Jets building. I know a lot of those guys, and it just so happens that. Hackett's a, a longtime, uh, you know, friend. I wouldn't say source, but longtime friend. I've known him for 10 years. And Salah, I've known all the way back to from his Jacksonville days. And then you add in Todd Downing, who I know quite well from many years when he was coaching around the league. And that's really their core offensive group right now in Hackett and Downing. And, you know, I I haven't spoken to those guys directly in the last, you know, several 48 hours, if you will. But to a man, they were like, all right, next man up, like Zach, like, Let's go. And they're not going to go and try to beat down Tom Brady's door in New York City. They're not offering three first round picks for Matthew Stafford today. They're not, you know, driving to Minnesota and courting Kirk Cousins and saying, what can we do to it looks like they're willing to go into Dallas on Sunday, the number one defense in the league that just shut out the Giants 40 to nothing and say, let's roll the dice with Zach Wilson and let's see and let's not immediately put him on the bench for some other option that we're going to go out and get. Okay, let me now let me put you on the spot. And and honestly, that's their only choice in this moment. Like Zach Wilson's been there all offseason. He knows the offense. We get it. Like nobody that came in today would have a prayer of being up to speed in time for Dallas. He's got to play against Dallas. But this reminds me of 2015 with the Cowboys, actually, when Romo in week two broke his collarbone. Uh, Brandon Whedon was there at the time. And they felt great about it. We're going to roll with Brandon Whedon. Yep. This is going to be great. And, you know, after a couple of weeks of Brandon Whedon, they changed their tune real quick. And that's how Matt Castle wound up in Dallas. And the rest is very forgettable history. But, you know, it sounds good that Zach is your guy. But 
if he is not noticeably improved, do you see that being the case over the long haul of the season? Joe Douglas is never scared to make a move. If anything, uh, you know, they don't have that veteran guy who's been there, done that in the locker room right now. So maybe they add a Colt McCoy or maybe they add someone else who's been there and has done that. Maybe they trade for, you know, I'm just throwing out names, but like you trade for a Case Keenum or, you know, one of those types of guys that has just been a lifelong veteran presence who's there on a day-to-day basis and can get you a win if you need. But all this talk, there was a lot of talk yesterday in New York of like, you know, go get Brady. Like, let's be realistic here. Like Brady's not looking to come back. He's not looking to come play for the Jets with no practice, no training camp, no nothing. Um, And I think the Jets fans have to, you know, kind of ground themselves here and say, okay, we had the expectations of this. And I know we're all in for this, but this is a number two overall pick. And all we have heard all camp is how Zach Wilson has made these incredible strides. It's almost like we have to call their bluff now and be like, okay, so let's see it. It, I mean, exactly. And that's, I mean, it's, it's the classic training camp storyline of like best shape of his life. Aaron really took him under his wing. And I mean, for the record, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I would love it if Zach Wilson got a little bit of a redemption arc here, but there we is know ex- a, there is a cool redemption story here. You've got Hackett, who was the joke of the league yeah. last year when he was with Wilson. You've got Zach Wilson, not Russell Wilson, who was the joke of the league and was benched and, uh, people hated his comments after the Patriots loss. Um, and then you've got Todd Downing, who was unceremoniously let go in Tennessee as their offensive coordinator. So you've got three guys who kind of tail between their legs a little bit at the end of 2022 are now the focal points of what could be an amazing redemption story for the Jets uh, this season. They still have Garrett Wilson. They still have Brees Hall, who looks absolutely amazing. They still have Alan Lazard, and they still got Michael Carter and Dalvin Cook. I mean, there's still an offense there. This is, I, I mean, I, I own it. I'm a glass half empty type of person. I just am. But for all of the reasons you're saying, that's why I'm nervous. Again, I hope Zach Wilson balls. That would be so much fun. But it makes me nervous to know, look, I mean, we just saw their defense make Josh Allen look helpless. Like the defense is ready to roll. Garrett Wilson is one of the best young receivers in the league, has the early contender for catch of the year, definitely mm-hmm. catch of the of the week. Brees Hall looks better than before. Like, this is a team that's ready to win. And if they're averaging 10 points a game like they were last year, I worry that you run the risk of losing that locker room for putting them in that position again. Yeah, and it's not what they wanted, right? I mean, they went out nope. and they traded for Aaron Rodgers, maybe the greatest quarterback of his generation, just skill-wise. But four snaps in, God is cruel. Um, there was a line someone sent me, if you want to make God laugh, go ahead and tell him your plans. Absolutely. And as the Jets trot out Aaron Rodgers and they've got the U2 music blasting and you've got you know luminaries up and down the field, Jets legends, and you've got the lights out and he comes out with that flag and he plants it. You look back on it now as we're towards the end of the week, it's almost comical how ridiculous it's sick, how ridiculously short-lived it all was and poof up in air. And yet they found a way to beat Josh Allen in week one. And Josh Allen, you know, was Josh Allen. He was out there being how he always is a little careless, a little reckless, but still a beast. They beat him. The cool thing about the NFL is like, I mean, you circled the minute the schedule came out, you circled Cowboys jets for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Like it's the brand names, the Cowboys can't beat Rodgers. Like, oh, this is going to be one of the best games of the early season. And now Rodgers is gone. It definitely, it loses some luster. Don't get me wrong. But like, 
for a half a dozen reasons, I can still get very, very excited to see what that game looks like. Look, we look at our uh, colleagues over at CBS. They didn't move Romo and Nance off this game. It's almost like the intrigue level goes up a notch. Like, all right. So the Cowboys just beat the Giants full strength, 40 to nothing in their building. Here comes, you know, Zach Wilson, the Jets on a short week uh, after he's thrown into the fire. Could this be 60 to nothing or do the Jets cobble together a 17-13 win and they come off and they're celebrating as 2-0 heading into week three? Well, I can't wait to see how it goes. Peter Schrager, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time, man. Thank you, brother. Now, the one thing missing from my conversation with Peter was we didn't have any context or input from Aaron Rodgers, the guy who actually got hurt. So, of course, as usually happens in the media world, as soon as we finish that interview, Aaron Rodgers takes to his Instagram to mainly send a thank you message. Thanks to everybody that's reached out, called, texted, said I'm I'm completely heartbroken and moving through the emotions, which as we touched on, you would expect for a guy in his position who knows his season's over before it really got started. All sounds extremely understandable. The big thing that is going to be a talking point from here is the second to last line of, of the Instagram message that said, the night is darkest before the dawn and I shall rise yet again kind of maybe a little bit melodramatic, but obviously hints at what his future might be. I mean, you read that and aside from making me think of a Florence and the machine song, it makes me think that this is a guy who's going to at least try to return. And that shouldn't shock anybody. You know, Rogers took a pay cut to, to, to be in New York and help them with their finances. It always made sense that he would give this more than one year. Now, I don't think anybody was counting on him having to come back from a very tricky injury to rehab from. I mean, think of what an Achilles injury is. I mean, you're planting your feet, torquing your body, using those muscles where your Achilles is climbing the pocket, potentially scrambling. It's all kind of important for a quarterback. So Doubt it's going to be easy for a guy in Aaron Rodgers' position. I'm certainly not betting against him, for the record. Uh, on top of that, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, he's he's got a long time to sit and think about this. The season has only just started. The other interesting factor of this is I don't think anybody had this in their notes for before we've even gotten to week two, but the injury has started a very loud dialogue about whether NFL players should be playing games on turf in the first place. It started Monday night, David Bakhtiari, Rogers, former teammate in green Bay and his very, very close friend, David Bakhtiari has long been very vocal that NFL players don't belong on artificial turf. It's unhealthy. It's, it's bad for your joints. It has a higher chance of injuring players and and plenty of players have said this in the past, by the way. This is definitely not new. But the new wrinkle in this is that Wednesday, NFLPA Executive Director Lloyd Howell makes a statement that says moving all stadium fields to high-quality natural glass, grass surfaces is the easiest decision the NFL can make. The statement is much longer. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. You can find it on Twitter or whichever app you prefer. But he basically points out that NFL stadiums flip turf fields to grass all the time for FIFA soccer games because that is FIFA's 
standard uh, for playing surfaces. And he says, if you can do it for the World Cup, if you can do it for a soccer exhibition, of course you can do it for an NFL game. This is worth the investment and it simply needs to change now. For the record, I agree. I'm, I'm totally on board with that. I have no problem with it whatsoever if the players feel better. And that's, we're seeing throughout the NFL, you're seeing a litany of players voice their support for this. Uh, DJ Reed, the Jets cornerback, came out and said the same thing after the game as well. So I have no problem with it from the standpoint of if it's, if the, even if, even if the players only feel safer on it, like I'm cool with it. And then you note that the data seems to back it up. No problem here. I just wonder, and again, I, I hate to be this guy, but yes, is it worth the investment? Sure. Is it a hell of an investment to make? And do I think you have an uphill battle convincing owners of that? I mean, keep in mind what all NFL stadiums do in a given year these days. I mean, you have 10 home NFL games in a, in a 365 day calendar year. And now think about in, in this day and age, what does your local NFL stadium do the other days of the year? You've got Taylor Swift concerts, you've got soccer exhibitions, you've got college football games at a lot of these arenas. You've got uh, exhibitions, you know, boat shows or whatever happens on weekends in the off season and having turf, I think makes that easier because you're not having to replace the field every single time something happens at your stadium. You're not having to worry about rotating different rolls of sod or keeping it all healthy and keeping it all green. And like, I get it. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. Cause again, if you can keep your team healthier, and, and like I talked about with Peter, if you can avoid an injury to a guy who's going to be the face of your team and the face of an entire season, it's worth it. But go convince the people that pay those bills that that's the case. I will be interested to see where this goes. I think sometimes I'm too cynical for my own good. I would be shocked if this gains a lot of movement anytime soon, but it could be the catalyst for a very interesting conversation. I think it's definitely something worth keeping your eye on. Might as well keep it at MetLife Stadium since it just seems to be in the news this entire week uh, because the night before all of this happened with Aaron Rodgers, that is where the New York Giants demolition at the hands of Micah Parsons and the Cowboys came from. I love the era that we're living in where so many great players have their own means of getting their message out there, whether it's their social media accounts or in this case, their podcasts. The Kelsey brothers, Travis and Jason, took the world by storm with theirs last year. And now Micah Parsons has one. And if that wasn't cool enough that you can go listen to it straight from his mouth, he's backing up my opinions, which obviously means a lot to me. Micah Parsons on his podcast, The Edge, I think, I think that's what he's calling it. Uh, can't wait to go give it a look. But he basically called out the Giants for not pulling Daniel Jones out of a 40 to nothing beatdown. talking about the giants. He said, quote, it's called protecting your guy. Something I thought the giants should have done. I don't think Jan Daniel Jones should have been in that game in the fourth quarter. I thought they should have protect protected him and pulled him out barring injury. Their season would be over without Daniel Jones. Thank you. Micah Parsons. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, look, I get it at the end of a 40 to nothing blowout. First of all, you don't want to like maybe the optics look weird to 
uh, to Joe from Brooklyn or, you know, whatever angry Giants fan is furious about the way the game went. Maybe it's bad optics to people like that. It's going to be worse optics if something happens to Daniel Jones that forces him to miss games or maybe all of them. It's so ironic that Brian Dable and the Giants decided not to pull Daniel Jones a solid, not even 24 hours, like 20 hours before the same thing happened to Aaron Rodgers. And I get it. Football is there. You're, you're going to deal with injuries. It's inevitable. But these are situations that you can avoid. You can say, hey, man, this game's been over since halftime. We live to fight another day. We pay you $40 million a year. You are way too important to us to have you out here in a rainstorm getting annihilated by the likes of Micah Parsons. Honestly, not even Micah Parsons by the end of the game because the Cowboys were smart enough to be like, hey, you've done your job for the night. Let's let the backups eat a little bit. That's, that's modern football. Like there was a time in the sixties, seventies, honestly, as recently as like the two thousands, where you'd probably say, no, you got your asses kicked. You you don't get out of this game. You go, you go find something salvageable to work with. That stuff all sounds really cool from the hard ass coach in a movie. Uh, But here in, in 2023, where the NFL is a multi multi billion dollar business and Daniel Jones is the biggest piece of your season. It just doesn't make any sense. It's one thing for me to say that. I just really wanted to point out that one of the best defenders in the league feels the same way. So thank you, Micah, for that. All right. Let's actually talk about some football because there is a really great game tonight. Like I said earlier, Philadelphia welcoming Minnesota to Lincoln Financial Field for Thursday night football. Let's get into it. My gut reaction to this game is, is the NFL trying to make this a thing? Because no, you don't have deja vu. This is the same way we got started last season. Week two, Thursday night football at the link Vikings at Eagles. Like it's the exact same thing. And if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm saying, why are you making us do this again? At least the Vikings last year were coming off the high of a huge win against Green Bay. This year, they're 0-1. They lose a game that they were favored to win. They're probably not feeling so great. And now you got to go play the NF, the reigning NFC champs. Like why, why do we have to do this week two again? Why can't this happen in November? Why is the NFL trying to turn this into a, like some sort of weird rivalry? The link just has not been kind to the Minnesota Vikings recently. I think what I looked this up. They've six of their last seven games against the Eagles have happened in Philly. And they're one in three when they go there. I don't like it. I don't like it. Hopefully they can flip the script. Fortunately for them anyway, there, there are some factors breaking in the Vikings way. And that is, this is already a very banged up Eagles team. Like the Eagles, no disrespect to any of their great players, all, all the all pros, you're all wonderful, but a big part of the Eagles success last year was that all those guys were on the field. They just, for a team that made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Sure. Jalen Hurts missed a couple games, obviously, again, for the fifth time this episode, everybody deals with injury, but this was a remarkably healthy team last year. Doesn't look like the case heading into week two. Second year linebacker, N'Kobe Dean is already on injured reserve after hurting his foot in the season opener. Now you've got Kenny Gainwell, the undisputed running back one for week one. He's out with a rib injury. 
Cornerback two, James Bradbury, who they famously brought back, didn't think they were going to be able to afford him. And here he is. He's out with a concussion. Uh, oh, yeah, there's another one too. Reed Blankenship, the second year safety. Everybody, so much good stuff to say about him. Uh, undrafted free agent last year who rose into a starting role. He's out as well. So what's that? Four starters from the week one lineup that aren't going to be available in this game. I'm curious to see how it goes because some of the guys they're going to be asking to step up against the Vikings are not what you would call experienced running back. I think will be fine. Gainwell was the only Eagles running back that carried the ball more than one time against new England. Uh, but you do have Boston Scott. You do have Deandre Swift. You do have Rashad Penny. You got options there. I'm curious to see how the workload is divided. Cause really Swift and Scott, barely touched the ball in week one and Rashad Penny wasn't even active. So they were really leaning on Kenny Gainwell. So Boston Scott been in Philly for a long, long time. Isn't a guy that carries the ball a lot. Traditionally usually averages like five or six carries a game over the course of his career. So looking at Deandre Swift, looking at Rashad Penny, I'm curious to see how those guys go again, not the biggest problem for me. The biggest problem, honestly, might be cornerback, where James Bradbury is not available. You do have Darius Slay, but it's looking like the guy that they're going to ask to step in is another second-year player, another undrafted free agent. You know what? I don't want to mispronounce this guy's name, so just bear with me here. Okay. It's Josh Job, not Josh Joby. My apologies, Josh. Josh Job, second-year undrafted free agent out of Alabama. Hey, buddy, welcome to the NFL. You want to go help us cover Justin Jefferson? Same thing's happening at the linebacker core, by the way. Honestly, I love stories like this, so just bear with me. N'Kobe Dean goes down. The Eagles have Zach Cunningham, who's a longtime veteran in the NFL. But the guy who's likely to start next to Cunningham is a guy by the name of Christian Ellis. Who he came in when Dean got hurt in week one. He actually called the defensive plays, according to defensive coordinator Sean Desai. But what I love about this, undrafted free agent in 2021, signed by Minnesota, bounces around, doesn't have a whole lot of playing time early, gets picked up by Philly where he's appeared in 10 or 11 games. He's never made a start. And now he gets a chance to make his first NFL start on primetime TV against who? The team that originally found him as an undrafted free agent, the Minnesota Vikings. I, I love stories like that. I can't wait to see if he rises to the occasion. Anyway, back to cornerback, James Bradbury. Maybe you've heard of him. Not having him seems like a big deal. Darius Slay and Avante Maddox are still there. I think that's a huge deal. Those two both picked off Kirk Cousins in this game last year. That's part of why last year's game was such a beatdown. Philly won easily 24-7, and the score honestly didn't reflect how dominant they were. But I am curious about this. If Josh Job is really your guy, maybe you use a little bit of Keely Ringo, the rookie out of Georgia. But I'm going to go ahead and assume maybe not quite ready for prime time. But I'm curious about this. I think shadowing a receiver with a cornerback is one of the most overrated storylines in football media. Like for the amount that we talk about it, my experience leads me to believe it just doesn't happen all that often. Like, yes, 
in some circumstances it happens, but for the most part, defensive coordinators call their defense. They trust guys to do their job and the lesser players they give help to rather than reinvent the wheel for one matchup. Having said all of that, I think this is a game where at least on third downs and in the red zone, you probably tell Darius Slay to go find Justin Jefferson because the alternative is scary. Remember, it's not just Bradbury that's out. Reed Blankenship is out too. You could be seeing a lot of Sidney Brown, the rookie out of Illinois at safety. So you could have all kinds of inexperienced players all over the back end of this secondary. And it's Justin Jefferson. He just caught eight passes for 150 yards a week ago. And I guarantee you, he's going to be wanting to, he's going to want to avenge a very poor performance in this loss last year. So again, every snap, no, that's silly. But in key situations, in, in big moments where you think Kirk Cousins is going to be looking his way, I would tell Darius Slay, hey man, go find 18. Now, having said all of that, if you're an Eagles fan, you're probably angry at me because it sounds like I think the Vikings are going to win 50 to nothing. Fortunately for the birds, the Vikings are dealing with a lot of stuff that plays right into the Eagles hands. And when I say that, what I really mean is the offensive line. Again, it takes no time at all for what looks like depth or what looks like good health to become terrifying. Starting center Garrett Bradbury has already been announced out with a back injury. Left tackle Christian Derrissaw is limited, questionable, I believe with an ankle injury. So that's two of your five on an already, I mean, the Vikings offensive line isn't bad, but we wouldn't call it like one of the very best in the league and where they are weak is in the middle suspect at guard. And now you don't have your starting center. Sounds like a hell of an opportunity for Jalen Carter to announce himself. I mean, he had a wonderful game against new England. Don't get me wrong. He was on our rookies list, but playing at, 3.30 as one of five games on in the second window is not the same thing as playing in front of America on a Thursday night. I think Jalen Carter, I think Jordan Davis, honestly, whichever of those D linemen Sean Desai wants to throw into the mix to pressure Kirk Cousins in the interior, I say, go for it. It should be a very good opportunity for you. I think Kirk Cousins is better than he gets credit for. But I don't think Kirk Cousins is the type of quarterback that's going to easily overcome pressure right up the gut, right in his face. If Jalen Carter's on top of him within a second and a half of getting the ball, it's not going to go well for him. We've seen that before. And on top of that, Kirk Cousins, again, I'm not trying to call the guy a bad athlete, but he's not the quarterback that's going to escape from the pocket and create off schedule and make you pay for breaking contain and things like that. No, if you blow up the line, blow up the pocket, get to Kirk cousins, he's either going to go down or get rid of the ball or do something silly, which is what happened last year when he threw three interceptions in this game and the Vikings only scored seven points. So this is what happens when you play on Thursdays, honestly, like the, the injury reports are long. There are going to be several guys missing from this game. Ultimately, I think even with all of the young guys, maybe I'll be wrong. Even with all the young guys missing from the Eagles roster, the Vikings absences are more impactful. They'll also potentially be without Marcus Davenport, their edge rusher. So even with Daniil Hunter, 
you go back and watch the Eagles game against New England, their offensive line honestly looked surprisingly mortal. Like we think so highly of the Eagles offensive line and they're this impenetrable force. They looked beatable against New England, but the difference is New England has one of the best fronts in football. I don't think the Vikings have that. And without Marcus Davenport, I'm even more confident they don't have that. So I think the Eagles will be able to run the ball a little bit better than they did last week. More importantly, I think Jalen Hurts will be a little cleaner than he was last week. And there should be favorable matchups in the secondary. I do see the Vikings scoring more than the seven points that they scored last year because this Eagles defense already didn't look great against New England and they're very beat up. So hoping for a much more entertaining game because for all the hype of last year, it was a dud. It was boring. I think if I remember right, the Bills played that night too against Tennessee and I had flipped over to that game by halftime because this one was just a laugher. I don't think that's going to be the case tonight, but I do have Philly winning. I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking Philly wins, but probably doesn't cover the six or seven point spread. So give me Philly like 27 to 23. Yeah. I clearly, I don't sound confident, but I'm taking Philly and I hope it's a much better game than last time. We will see what happens, but regardless whether I look like a genius or an idiot, we will be back here tomorrow to wrap that up. And then obviously we have got a ton of week two action for you. Full slate of games. I can't wait for it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go find us on Spotify, Apple podcast, subscribe to our channel on YouTube, the Fox sports channel, full of content, full of clips from this show, as well as others. We really appreciate it. I'll catch y'all next time.